0: It takes a village. We've all heard this familiar African proverb before, but when you become a parent, it takes on an entirely new meaning. Intentionally or not, when you're a parent, you become part of the village. When we moved away from my family's hometown for my husband's career, the concept of having a village took a new meaning and new importance. We no longer had family to rely on for emergencies, we were no longer in the middle of a community where we had known everyone for years. We could no longer rely on the fact that everyone knew everyone because all of a sudden, we knew absolutely no one. It's isolating, frightening, and for a lot of parents, it's paralyzing. So what does a parent do in that situation? They get involved. I volunteered to be the room mom from my daughter's class. My husband coached her kickball team. I stayed after school with her while she played on the playground with her friends and I chatted with the other moms, getting to know them and forming new relationships. I became my daughter's troop mom and girl scouts. I coached her cheer teams. I knew the names of all the kids she spent time with and the names of their parents. Before long, I had created a beautiful little bubble for our family. But then just like that, boom, we had to move across the country from my husband's job again. This time, I had two children, and my youngest son had just been diagnosed with autism. All the time that I previously had available to volunteer, to stay after school to get to know people, to join clubs, none of those luxuries were available to me this time around. Still, I told myself that even though I couldn't be as involved as I had been before, I could trust the systems already in place in the community to protect my kids. Surely, that would be enough, right? Right? Just because I couldn't be the mayor of the village this time around, that village still existed, and I was still a part of it by default, right? Because as parents, we all have the same goals, to keep our children safe and sound, to protect them as they learn and as they grow, to keep them away from people who would seek to manipulate or exploit them, or worse— As a parent, I developed a greater understanding of the implied trust that we place in other parents, a truly sacred trust, which holds that they are watching out for your kids as much as you are watching out for their kids, because that is the golden rule of the village. And that is the kind of village that it takes. As a parent, I came to understand the blind trust that we place in these systems The expectation that in addition to your village of people, there are systems in place within that village to identify and eliminate the evil lurking within. Surely, if one of these systems fails, another one will be there to pick up the slack. Tragically, that hasn't been the case for hundreds of cheerleaders across our country. Everything failed these kids. All of these systems failed. The village erected to keep watch over our children, to protect them, the competitive cheer industry burned it to the ground. And now it's trying to smoke out the parents, advocates, attorneys, and journalists standing up for our children's safety. That's what keeps surprising me about the cheer incorporated story. The fact that we've all been standing here, staring at the charred remains of this village for years. And yet, outside of a handful of truly courageous people, like Kristen, the focus of our recent podcast, no one has taken the necessary actions. Does the industry just not care? Or is enabling abusers simply too profitable?
1: Welcome to Cheer Incorporated, a podcast launched by the investigative journalist at Fitznews.com. Cheer Incorporated is produced by Fitz News, which broke the story wide open in August 2022 with its coverage of the Rockstar Cheer sex abuse scandal in Greenville, South Carolina. Cheer Incorporated is dedicated to exposing the culture of sexual abuse, intimidation, and the ensuing cover-up within America's competitive cheer industry. Our team digs deep, provides context, and shares stories, starting with those who endured the very worst of this industry's ravages. This podcast is written, narrated, and produced by our research director and resident cheer mom, Jen Wood, by our director of special projects, Dylan Nolan, and by me, Fitznews founding editor, Will Folks. Got something you think we should know about this story? Email us at research at Again, that's research at F-I-T-S-N-E-W-S dot com. And remember... Our microphones are always on and always open to anyone with an intelligent take on this story that includes varsity its founder jeff webb or anyone affiliated with the company and its ever-expanding army of attorneys and publicists but i want to make this clear at fitz news we take our commitment to the marketplace of ideas and to the open microphone principle very seriously always have always will and the same is true for this podcast Because ultimately, we are all participants in the public discourse. And as John Milton once famously wrote, in a free and open encounter, the truth will prevail. The truth is what we're seeking. While we're committed to calling things as we see them, we're also committed to handing the microphone over to those accused in connection with the scandal, as well as those who might wish to argue on their behalf. But now, let's get back to Jen and the ashes of that village that was supposed to be protecting
0: As cool fall weather descended on the American South in November of 2022, sparks were still flying and radiating tons of heat in the Cheer Incorporated court cases. A little over a week after being threatened with legal action by attorneys for the Tennessee-based Varsity, the behemoth of the American cheerleading industry, lawyers with the Columbia, South Carolina-based Strom Law Firm filed another federal complaint asserting the company was a part of a conspiracy to cover up sexual abuse. The new lawsuit was filed on behalf of an anonymous John Doe via his mother, Mary Doe, in the U.S. District Court in Atlanta, Georgia. The Georgia lawsuit listed a now familiar host of defendants, including Varsity and its founder, Jeff Webb, two Varsity-controlled governing bodies, the U.S. All-Star Federation, the U.S. Federation of Sport Cheering, as well as two companies which purchased ownership interests in varsity within the last decade, Charles Bank Capital Partners and Bain Capital. In addition to these defendants, the suit named Marietta Georgia-based Stingray Cheer Company, its owner, David S. Jones, and three of his employees, Juan Carlos Rialpe, Joel Creter, and Robert Stone. According to the complaint, quote, at all times relevant to the complaint, Stingray represented that Stone, Raelp, and Creeter were credentialed members of the USASF, adhering to its policies and procedures, protecting minors, including John Doe, from physical, sexual, and mental abuse. Remember those numbers I told you to remember? The cases, states, the survivors, and defendants? Well, they all ticked up after the Georgia case. That's because this story isn't going away. I don't care what moves Varsity makes or how many outlets in the legacy media cravingly choose advertising dollars over accountability. There are now seven federal lawsuits in four different states on behalf of 17 survivors of alleged sexual abuse. And in addition to the core defendants referenced above, all of whom have been accused of conspiring to violate federal RICO laws, there are another 14 coaches at four different gyms currently listed as co-defendants. And those are just the federal lawsuits and just the lawsuits filed by one firm. More lawsuits are coming and more victims and survivors are out there. Why do you think people are making these threats? Curiously, Varsity's statement issued on October 13, 2022, gave no indication the company was anything but proud of its efforts to improve the safety of its athletes over the decades. They actually said, quote, we are proud of what we have done to improve safety over decades, and we will continue to actively push the sport forward in this regard. I wonder if the 17 survivors of abuse that filed lawsuits against them agree with this assessment.
1: In our last episode, we discussed in detail the escalating legal threats being issued by Varsity's attorneys. We also initiated a deep dive into Varsity's so-called Athlete Protection Plan, SAFE at All Star. The USASF implemented SAFE at All Star in the wake of Congress passing the Safe Sport Authorization Act of 2017, which we talked about in a previous episode. This act required adults involved in Olympic sports to report suspected child abuse to authorities. Unfortunately for the alleged victims in these cases, though, competitive cheer is not currently administered by an Olympic governing body, which means it's exempt from these important safety guardrails. Now, as we previously reported, the American cheerleading industry is controlled instead by governing bodies which are beholden to varsity, and their alternative, Safe at All Star, lacks the statutory mandated reporting requirements that undergird safe sport. On the Safe and All-Star website, the creator of the program is listed as a member of their board of directors. His name, Rick Brashler. Here's a quick excerpt from Brashler's biography, and I quote, Rick has served in the child safety and protection field for over 30 years, working with youth serving organizations to develop child abuse prevention resources. Rick has personally worked with over 600 youth organizations worldwide, and has provided over 700 hours of child abuse prevention training to over 25,000 frontline youth workers. Rick has undertaken the role of an abuse standards expert in civil litigation throughout the country. In addition, he has served as a standards development expert for national child abuse accreditation efforts. Yeah, that sounds exactly like the sort of guy you would trust to develop policies to protect your kids, right? Of course. But like everything else Varsity and USASF tell us, we need to look at what they aren't saying. What were this guy's actual credentials? What specifically qualified him to create a program intended to protect our children? Digging deeper, it seems Brashler was uniquely unqualified for this role. Rick Brashler, the creator of Safe at All Star, is also Executive Director of Safety and Risk Management for Kanakuk camps. Kanakuk is a massive evangelical summer camp system that welcomes thousands of campers each year to its facilities in Branson, Missouri, an Ozark town located just north of the state's southern border with Arkansas. And spoiler alert, would you be surprised to learn Kanakuk has been the focus of yet another epidemic of child sex abuse allegations. Journalist Nancy French but an in-depth investigation exposing years of alleged abuse within the Kanaka system. French stated that her investigation revealed camp leaders, quote, repeatedly disregarded red flags and prioritized ministering to those accused of wrongdoing instead of seeking justice for victims. Sound familiar? As part of her investigation, French did some digging into Brashler. What she found? Well, according to her, The man entrusted by varsity with this tremendous responsibility to protect child athletes, quote, says he's a subject matter expert, but is a high school graduate who did not complete any course of higher education. He completed restaurant management training at Pizza Hut. French also found that Brashler, quote, does not hold any professional or vocational licenses other than his insurance license, end quote. And she finally found that CannaCook has, quote, not addressed the handling of abuse that has occurred after the protection plan Brashler implemented was put into place. On September 21, 2022, less than a month after Rockstar Cheers' Scott Foster died by suicide, Safe at All-Star released a statement addressing questions raised about Brashler. According to that statement, Brashler was hired by USASF based on his, quote, extensive work in the field of child safety and protection, end quote. True to form, this statement distanced the organization from the Canicook scandal and took issue with, quote, many inaccurate statements regarding Rick, which distract from our mission of protecting children. Protecting children? Really? Use your common sense, people. We've got two completely different organizations, both charged with the safety of children, a faith-based camp system and an oversight agency for competitive cheer. Both of the programs developed to protect these children were created by the same person and both appear to have failed spectacularly. But we're supposed to swallow the spin that allegedly, quote, inaccurate statements about Rick Brashler are the problem? Please. Please.
0: So now that you know a little bit about the architect of this program, let's dig a little deeper into the program itself. What is Safe at All-Star? According to its website, quote, Safe at All-Star certification is the gold standard and highest level of recognition in athlete protection awarded in the All-Star industry. Quote, a certified club has taken multiple additional layers of athlete protection training above and beyond legal and membership requirements, The description continued. Quote, Safe at All Star certified clubs have the highest standard of athlete protection. There's more. Quote, The revolutionary Safe at All Star program provides a complete suite of video and certification training resources for athletes, parents, coaches, and owners solely focused on abuse prevention strategies designed with the All Star athlete in mind. Gold Standard highest standard revolutionary that's some serious self-congratulation but again does this program work sadly in far too many cases we already know the answer to that question so who has to complete this training safe at all star directs users to the usasf code of conduct and compliance for answers to that question the code of conduct and compliance is a document that quote outlines USASF framework to promote the protection of our members. According to the Code of Conduct and Compliance, all USASF member club owners must complete the Safe at All-Star training and hiring education course. Additionally, all coaches that are USASF members must complete the Safe at All-Star comprehensive coach certification program. If you aren't a USASF member, but are an adult working with children at a USASF facility, then the Code of Conducts and Compliance states that you must complete abuse prevention training. Safe and All-Star training claims to help minimize the risk of child sexual abuse and misconduct, teaching participants how to recognize the warning signs of possible abuse and how to respond to a suspected or known abuse. Topics presented to coaches include abuser characteristics, the grooming process, methods to reduce risk, decision and physiology in critical incidences, grounds and facility safety assessments, hiring process, crisis response, what to do if a child reports abuse, and the responsibility to report. As we pointed out last week though, That's where the relationship between USASF and Safe at All-Star seems to end. The training, all the other responsibilities for athlete protection fall under USASF or USA Cheer. When you click the link to make a report of an allegation of abuse or misconduct, it takes you to the USASF USA Cheer unified report form. The report doesn't go to an independent organization, It ends right back in the hands of USASF or USA CHEER, two entities funded by Varsity. The Code of Conduct and Compliance also states that USASF member clubs must provide annual training to all employees and volunteers identified as mandatory reporters on the legal requirements and reporting procedures for their state. Member clubs must also provide a tool for all participants to make a confidential report to the club if they suspect abuse and or misconduct. A tool for mandatory reporters to immediately report suspicions of abuse and must also post the legal requirements and specific reporting procedures for their state for all coaches and adult participants to reference. Again, it all sounds really comprehensive really reassuring. But the implementation or lack thereof is the key, the enforcement. Nowhere does it say who enforces these rules, how they will be enforced, or what the consequences will be for member clubs who are found to be in violation. And here's the thing. This is a common theme across the USASF Code of Conduct and Compliance. The document, quote, outlining USASF's framework to promote the protection of our members mandates many things of all-star clubs. It's a document that purportedly guides participants in how to keep our child athletes safe. Yet every time I read it, I'm left wondering, who checks to see if these policies are being followed, or what happens if it's discovered that these policies aren't followed? Because unless there are consequences to me, it seems as though it's not a mandate, but a suggestion, not a rule, but a recommendation. And again, when you remember that the congressional law passed in 2017 failed to incorporate competitive cheer in other non-Olympic sports under its required reporting umbrella, you can see that despite all of the tough talk, despite the, quote, gold standard rhetoric, there is actually very little in the way of enforced accountability here, or To put it more precisely, no enforced accountability. Why create tough standards if they aren't gonna be followed up on? Here at Cheer Incorporated, we're going to continue exploring and exposing systems that were supposed to protect our athletes, our children. But remember at the end of all these systems, there were actual people, adults, who were on the receiving end of reports of abuse and mistreatment of child athletes. In some cases, there were adults who were making decisions not to use the system to make more reports. And that is what keeps me up at night. The abuse we have covered is horrific, but the enabling, individually, institutionally, it's just as bad. As a mother, hell, as a freaking human being, I know if a child I knew was being abused, mistreated, harmed, or just not safe, I couldn't sleep at night knowing I didn't do something. I know that I would need to make 100% sure that that child was safe. And not only that, that the person who was responsible for the abuse wasn't able to do the same thing again to another child, ever. And I don't just mean my child, I mean any child because that's what I signed up for as a parent, to be a part of the village of parents who keeps everyone's children safe.